Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest. This is the Wednesday edition. If you have any questions during the live program today uh, for our panelists, please use the text, uh, text them in the chat window on this uh, YouTube page, this channel page. If you'd like to suggest a topic for a future live stream discussion, you can go to BibleQuest.org at any time. But for right now, we're streaming live on YouTube, and I hope you'll join the conversation. So with all of that said, Jeff, take it away. Thank you, Drew. I am Jeff Smelter in Exton, Pennsylvania. And good afternoon, Joe Works in Elmira, New York. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Chase. How are you guys doing today? Chase, where is Chase? Oh, oh that's right. Chase isn't with us today. Okay. <laughs> My bad. My bad. We miss you, Chase. <laughs> <laughs> for those that are watching we talked about doing something just to mess with chase and jeff was too nice to do it so i volunteered i i didn't think we were going to do it <laughs> okay all right all right so joe proposed so oh this is a long story never mind okay uh we missed chase um exodus chapter Exactly. What are we talking about? Jewish New Year. Yeah. And this is a little bit of a complex topic. It shouldn't be. But the fact is there are several different ways of, of talking about the Jewish calendar in different New Year's for each one. And there's Rosh Hashanah, which a lot of people would be familiar with that, that gets talked about today. That's not the New Year we're talking about. Um, Jewish New Year. <laughs> my phone just repeated me. All right. Um, we're, we're, we, this is actually Joe to tell you the truth. This is actually kind of a gimmick, kind of a hook. Um, cause we're not really going to spend our, our time today talking about the Jewish, uh, different calendars or how they, how they reckon time, but we are going to look at Exodus chapter 12, where it talks about the beginning of a year, the beginning of months for them and look at some of the events that are related to that and look at their significance. So, um, and, and of course, the idea is we're coming up on New Year's 2024 is just around the corner. And so as we go through this study of uh, the, the new calendar for the Israelite nation, I think that there will be, you know, you talk about this being a hook or whatever uh, gimmick. Uh, there are, I think, some real practical applications to studying the exodus from Egypt and the beginning of that nation, the beginning of their year. Yeah. As we contemplate the beginning of a year, you know, people have New Year's resolutions and so forth. It, it is an appropriate time to think about how am I going to use this time that God is giving me? That is true. They, they had been in slavery. They had been brought out of slavery by the mighty hand of God and they are uh, entering into a new covenant with him. This is a new beginning for them. Uh, it is the beginning for them. So let's look at Exodus chapter 12. We are here at the time where they are slaves in Egypt. God has brought nine plagues upon the Egyptians, and now the 10th plague is about to come, and that's, of course, going to be the death of the firstborn. However, in chapter 11, God had specified that this would only happen to the Egyptians, and we'll talk about the thing that would distinguish between the Egyptians and the Israelites here in a moment. But our text is in Exodus chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month 
shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. When we get over into some of the other books of the Old Testament, when we get into Leviticus and when we get into Numbers and Deuteronomy, I think we'll see references based on this date. We'll say in the, in the first month of the second year. Well, it's going back to, to this date. In the second month of the second year, it's going back to this date. Yeah, and the the feast will all be you know be based off of this the year whether it's the first month or fifty days after or the seventh month. Right. Um, right. Exactly. Right. Good. Okay. So in this particular chapter, what we have is the, the the things that the Israelites were to do as God tells them about this next plague that's coming, the death of the firstborn in every household. And uh, I'm going to read a little bit, Joe. So we'll start in, in verse 3 of Exodus 12, and it says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Uh, down in verse uh, 5, it describes the lamb, an unblemished male, a year old. Verse 6, it says, You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, this is verse 7, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. <clears throat> Down in verse 10, he says, uh, actually verse 11, he says, Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. In other words, ready to go. Your shoes are on, you've got your staff in your hand, your loins are girded up, which they would do when they set about in any kind of activity. And he says, that's the way you're to eat it. You're to eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. And then the explanation, verse 12, for I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So that's the text, Joe. Yeah, and so we have these uh, the, the timings, the first month, the 10th day in verse 3, the 14th day in verse 6, get down to verse 7, or, or so down to verse 15. It's going to be eaten for seven days. And so we're following through on this calendar for them, uh, their memorial uh, mm -hmm. for this uh, deliverance from Egyptian bondage, right? Right, right. This, and, and of course, then the, the key thing to, to, to get as far as just the, what the Israelites were supposed to do, by, by smearing the blood of, of this lamb over the doorpost, the door lintel, they that was a sign so that God would see that and he'd say, that's an Israelite house. The firstborn won't die there. Um, and we're going to talk about the significance of this in a moment. One of the things that I'd like for people to take away from this is what we're going to see is how, how thoroughly integrated the Old Testament and the New Testament are together. Uh, the New Testament, it, 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 the, the Old Testament is meaningless without the New Testament. And the Old Testament really cannot be comprehended thoroughly without the Old Testament. So many people think of um, the Jewish religion as one thing and Christian religion as another thing. 
Well, if we're talking about modern observations of Jewish religion and modern observations in Christendom, yeah, sure, I guess you could say the two different things. But in the Bible, uh, Jesus, the Christ, was just the fulfillment of the Jewish expectation of a Messiah. The word Messiah meant anointed one, the one that was designated by God to be the king of his people. And the word Christ is simply the Greek rendition of that of that name or that title. And so you see in the Gospels, is this the Christ? Can this be the Christ? This can't be the Christ, can it? The people were looking at Jesus and saying, is he the one that was predicted that we we're expecting based on the Old Testament scriptures? And, and of course he was. And so one of the things that I'd like for people to take away from this webcast is just an illustration as we look at the beginning of the Jewish year and, and this first great feast, um, the connection between this and, and Jesus. Um, that's not where I meant to go. I, I had something else I wanted to say in mind and I took off on that on that rabbit. It's not really a rabbit, it's kind of a major point. But Joe, before I, I, I say too much here, is there something you want to bring in right here? Well, no, I, I think you're exactly right. The whole idea about how the Old Testament and the New Testament ought to be thought of as a set beneficial going forward and backward. You know, the book of Galatians, Paul tells the churches of Galatia that the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ. And so we're not at all surprised when we find passages like this that are pointing to Jesus and uh, the just the, the beauty, the, the poetry, the magnificence of, of God's outline, uh, you know, his, his plan of salvation revealed all the way through scriptures. Well, let's talk a little bit about that connection then. So in this story, uh, he's going to destroy the firstborn in each household, except for those houses that have the blood smeared over the doorpost and lintel. And if you just sit back and think about it for a moment, you say, that's a weird way for the people to designate that they are Israelites to kill a lamb, smear blood over the doorpost. Why not just stick a note on the door that says Israelite house? Or for that matter, if God is God, doesn't he already know which ones are Israelite houses? So what's the point of doing it this way? Well, I mean, one, it is God's way. Uh, he has the right to determine it anyway, but there is a significance drawn all the way back early in the book of Genesis to uh, the value of blood and of life. And so a life is being given so that lives can be spared. And uh, so we have this lamb that is being uh, life taken from this lamb and the blood being uh, given over the doorpost. As I think about the doorpost, you know, that's sort of that's the entryway for the house. It, mm -hmm. it represents the, uh, you know, those who are have come into that uh, that abode. And and then so there has been a foundation laid earlier in the book of Genesis, the foundation, understanding uh, uh, blood and life. But with this particular event, you can say that the people are spared from death in their houses. They're spared from death by the blood of the lamb. To say they were saved from death by the blood of the lamb should trigger something in our minds. We think of Jesus, the lamb of God. John sees Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 29, and says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah. Paul actually calls Christ our Passover in yeah. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Um, and, you know, 
when God gave them the instructions about killing the lamb and smearing the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, he also told them that every year they would commemorate this and they would have uh, a Passover observance annually at this time, annually, and that would be followed by seven days of unleavened bread and so on. So the Jews each year, even on our calendars today, sometime in March or April, we see Passover show up on our, on our calendars. In the first century, the Jews had their annual Passover observance each year. Mm -hmm. When Jesus was crucified, the night before, he came together with the disciples to eat what we all call the Last Supper. Now, the Bible doesn't call it the Last Supper. What does the Bible call it? The Passover. So uh, Jesus, they, is, yeah, they were observing the Passover. So his crucifixion takes place at this time of year when they are observing this first Passover event where people were saved by the blood of the lamb. And of course, Jesus' crucifixion is the shedding of his blood and we're thus saved by the blood of the lamb. And so you see that in this, in this event, even in the way that they indicated they were Israelite houses, um, God was foreshadowing what he was going to do, how we would be saved. Yeah, very much. I have a question for you, Joe. Um, so I have um, encountered the, the view, and, and, I, and I'm not dismissing it at all. In fact, I had a course just recently where um, in a Hebrew grammar that I had, this, the case was being made that this is so. That the, that the expression Passover in Exodus chapter 11 is not, the, that the significance is not that God would just bypass. Oh, well, there's blood there, so I'm going to bypass that house. But actually that God would shield that house, uh, yeah. pass over it to protect it. You have thoughts about that? I, I think that is exactly correct. Um, uh, there is a form of that word that's used over in Isaiah 31 and in verse 5. Uh, different situation, but uh, in uh, Isaiah 31 and in verse 5, as God is talking about delivering Jerusalem in this text, he says in verse 5, like birds flying about, so the Lord of hosts, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending, he will also delivering it. Passing over, he will preserve it. I'm reading from the New King James. But that idea of passing over there is, is that very uh, thought of the Passover. And so passing over is to preserve it. He's passing over, hovering over the house, protecting it from the destroyer that's going to come in uh, to uh, to kill the, the firstborn ones there. Yeah, so that that's the case. That it's, here's the, the book right here that, that I was talking about. And I was flipping through it right now, seeing if I could find the, the essay that was included in this book that made that same argument. Um, and I couldn't find it real quickly. But that's, that's an interesting thought. Um, uh, along with this, this Passover observance, which is to take place in the first month of the year, the annual observance every, every year that would be in the first month, um, we see that there was a week of unleavened bread. They were to get the leaven out of their houses and not have any leaven in their houses for seven days. Uh, and then there was the feast of unleavened bread. And these two things, the Passover observance and the unleavened bread, were so closely connected that 
by New Testament times, the term Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread are used interchangeably. Um, in Luke chapter 22, uh, Luke chapter 22, we have an example. Um, and this is the description of what so often is called the, the Last Supper. It says in verse 1, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. Well, to be to be careful, strictly careful, back in Exodus chapter 12, there was a distinction between those two things. They're connected. They would eat the lamb with unleavened bread, and then they have a feast of unleavened bread. But they become so closely related, the terms are used interchangeably. Let's talk a little bit about the significance of, of leaven, uh, of yeast in the Bible. And so it is used almost universally in a negative fashion, right? Uh, in the parables and so forth, particularly in the New Testament, to, uh, to talk about that which is going to have an effect. And I say universally, maybe slight exaggeration, but it's used often to talk about a negative effect. Um, yeah. And so the idea of cleansing your house of the leaven would be to get rid of all of that, which is going to cause that growth. Yeah, there, there is the exception in the parable of the um, the woman who took three measures of meal right. uh, and and um, yeah. leavened them. And the and the but the idea there is of the great influence. A little bit of yeast, a little bit of leaven goes a long way. It, your whole lump of bread swells up. Uh, usually, you're right in the in the Bible. The, the that influence is is being talked about as as a negative influence. And, and there's this passage where Paul calls Christ our Passover in 1 Corinthians 5, where he talks about leaven uh, as a negative influence. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, this is the passage where Paul is admonishing the Christians in Corinth to do something about this man who is in the congregation there, but he is a fornicator. He is sleeping with his father's wife. And Paul says they need to deliver him to Satan. And Paul explains, verse 6, your glorying is not good. They seem to be very proud of their um, of themselves and their status before God and their ability to tolerate this individual. And um, Paul says, know you not that a little leaven, a little yeast, leavens the whole lump? Uh, we have an expression, one bad apple spoils the whole bunch or the whole barrel or something, right? Right, right. And, and so that's the idea here. Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, even as you are unleavened. For our Passover also has been sacrificed, even Christ. Now, in, in Exodus 12, it, it made the point, I think it did in Exodus 12, I know it does in Numbers, that if you have leaven in your house, you cannot keep the Passover. You've got to eliminate that. In fact, you are going to be cut off from Israel. Well, here in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, Our Passover also has been sacrificed, even Christ. Wherefore, let us keep the feast, our fellowship with Christ, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We need to get rid of sinful things and sinful influence if we're going to keep feast with Christ. That's the point he makes here. Yeah. In similar fashion, you have in Mark 8, Jesus warned against the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Again, the very same principle of uh, wicked influences uh, being used there. So going back to your comments at the very beginning of our webcast today, when you're talking about <clears throat> it is appropriate <clears throat> as we enter into a new year and we think about new beginnings, 
here's Israel at a new beginning. And one of the first things you see in this very first month is get the leaven out of your house. Now, the leaven itself is not evil. And so that's a temporary requirement. It's just a week long period. But there is this significance, remove sinful influence. Right. <clears throat> yeah. And so what a great time for us to contemplate what kinds of things do we need to get rid of? Maybe literally in our house, but in our lives. So uh, I had a message from a brother earlier today who is said he part of a new, a new year's resolution. He's just going to kind of eliminate social media uh, activity yeah. uh, in his life. And we don't want to become hermits and antisocial, but I tell you what, a lot of people, if you want to start looking at things you can do differently this year than you did last year, you might look at how we use social media and some of our interactions with one another therein. <clears throat> Absolutely. Very good point. Uh, yeah, uh, we, so social media, maybe even friends that we have, uh, you know, uh, sometimes people actually have friends in real life, not just in the, the uh, uh, the internet world. Um, uh, you know, thinking about who is it that's affecting me and because we are all influenced, there's a really popular thing that I don't know that I know. I don't think I can name any a name of any certain one influencers. Yeah. These famous people that, you know, for whatever reason, they have become popular. I don't know the names of any of them, but we have influencers in our lives. Right. And right. we ought to think carefully about are we allowing them to direct us in a false hope or false yeah. way? You are a good influence in my life. And, and we're going to have people who, who influence us for good. But when we have relationships with people who are not good influences, we need to ask ourselves, am I influencing that person or is that person influencing me? Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, one of the things, one of the things that I have dealt with, I'm sure you have also, you teach somebody the gospel who has been in a bad environment. Uh, evil companionships, corrupt good morals. And one of the things, just as a practical matter, that they have to learn is when they become a Christian, they need to cut off some of those old relationships. I was uh, teaching for some years each week in a kind of a halfway house setting. Um, and there were a lot of guys in that program who were coming out of drug abuse situations, alcohol abuse situations, uh, broken marriage situations, domestic situations, whatever. And they would be in this program for six months. And uh, it was a program designed to give them a place to live economically and help them get their feet on the ground, get a job and, and do better. And they'd be drug tested every day, all that kind of thing. And there were some of those guys who really demonstrated a clear desire to, to turn their life around. And they get out of the program, but too often when they got out of the program, they go right back to the old neighborhood where they had come from, back to the same old uh, friends, the same old influences, and and go right back to the same old way of life. And one of the messages had to try to drive home with these guys was, when you get out of here, don't go back there. Make a new beginning. <clears throat> yeah. And, and so... In, in every scenario, we need to think about what is that leaven, uh, what's affecting me. And, and the fact that it doesn't take very much, I think, is quite significant mm -hmm. to, to consider as well. 
Um, uh, we may not realize what little things are being said right now that can really uh, change our course of life later on. All right. So this Passover feast is um, takes place. They're to kill the lamb on the 14th or on the evening of the 14th of the first month of the year. We've said this would be in the spring. Let's go over to the book of uh, Joshua and look at when the Israelites are coming into the promised land. And um, we'll see a little bit about the time of year here. And I'm going to get over to Joshua. The um, Let's see here. I think it's Joshua, the third chapter. No, it's, it's later than that. It's Joshua, the sixth chapter. Oh, I'm in Judges. That's why I'm confused. <laughs> get over to Joshua. It wasn't where I expected it. And I, uh, so Joshua, the third chapter. Yeah, here we go. All right, so we're going to pick up the reading here in Joshua, the third chapter in verse 14. Moses has led the people for 40 years through the wilderness, and they've come to the promised land, and now Joshua is leading them into the promised land. It says in verse 14, So it came about when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan, the Jordan River, with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, and then there's this parenthetical note for the Jordan overflows all its banks, all the days of harvest that the waters, which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap, a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon and those which were flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. Well, this is near the time of, of, of um, Passover. As a matter of fact, chapter in, four, nineteen, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So, chapter four, nineteen gives us that timing. Now, the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and so that correlates then with what we read there in Exodus twelve. So, the timing of the uh, of the Passover instituted in Exodus twelve also matches this. Uh, entrance into the promised land uh, and uh, God's promises being fulfilled 40 years after that event. And it describes it as the time of harvest. So we're not talking about January 1st. We're not talking about dead winter. Right. Talking about the time of harvest. And this would be the barley harvest. A little later on, you had the wheat harvest, the, the second annual feast where all the men of Israel were to, to come to uh, the place where God would put his name would be seven weeks after Passover. Um, so you had the barley harvest, and then seven weeks later, you'd have the wheat harvest. And so each of these two, the, the Feast of Passover and then the Feast of Weeks, as it is sometimes called, came seven weeks later, associated with the wheat harvest. Um, and so you, when you think about the agricultural calendar, I mentioned at the outset that the Jews have different ways of, of talking about their year, at least in the Bible, certainly as compared with what we see today and what's in the Bible. There are different ways of talking about the Jewish year. The agricultural year and these feasts are calculated with the first month being, well, on our calendar, it would be March or April. Um, and so the time of, of the early harvest. So there's, there's an interesting connection here spiritually when we come to the New Testament these harvests, the first fruits of, of each harvest, the first fruits of the barley, and then seven weeks later, the first fruit of the wheat. Well, okay, in the New Testament, Jesus is crucified at the time of 
Passover, which was at the time of a harvest, and they were to bring the first fruits of that harvest. And Jesus is called the firstborn from the dead, the first fruit, you might say. And then seven weeks later, you have this next feast, the wheat harvest, and you have a second harvest spiritually, don't you? Yeah, exactly. What a beautiful picture is, is drawn for us there. So James calls us a type of first fruits. Um, in, in, in Acts chapter 2, we have a feast, the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost means 50th, 50 days after Passover, or you could say seven weeks. So the Feast of Weeks, another name for it in the New Testament is Pentecost. It's this second feast. And this is the time when, after Jesus has ascended back to the Father, the first time we know of the gospel being publicly proclaimed, and you have this great harvest. 3,000 souls are baptized into Christ. So you have these two harvests, Jesus from the dead, these people from spiritual death being baptized into Christ in, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, and so uh, to your point, and I think you said this, uh, and hopefully I can repeat this, throw a couple of verses and if i get it wrong feel free to correct me so in passages like leviticus 23 that describe those feasts um you have uh, in connection with the passover and unleavened bread the feast of first fruits that's talked about in leviticus 23 and in verse 10 where they're going to bring uh, the sheave and, and wave it and so forth for that grain but then 50 days after that, in verse 15, the seventh mm -hmm. Sabbath, 50 right. days, verse 16, then there is this other first fruits of the Lord mentioned in verse 17. So you have the, the first fruits of the barley, the, the, the first gleaning, if you will, the, uh, and then the first fruit of the wheat as well. And so you have, a, you mentioned that other passage, but in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus is described as the first fruits, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's so he's the, the first first fruits uh, to match his uh, resurrection um, uh, with that Passover unleavened bread. And then we follow that up, as you mentioned, with Colossians. I don't know that I've noticed this before, and I don't, maybe I'm stretching this, but I just now made this connection because of what you said. Interesting in 1 Corinthians 15, one of the things that he uses to illustrate the resurrection is the grain that is sown. Uh, I don't think I'd ever made that connection before, yeah. so I need to think more about that. Yeah. Uh, so I've got another question for you. In the passage in Luke in, in Leviticus 23 that you mentioned, this is the passage uh, where it describes the Passover, and then it describes that 50 days after. Well, let me let me read it. Verse 15. You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheep of the wave offering, that going back to the Passover and, and the unleavened bread, right? Right. All right. Um, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths, and you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord, and you shall bring in from your dwelling places, two loaves of bread, and so on. And you see this, uh, the events of this uh, Pentecost. Right. Now, if it's the day after the seventh Sabbath, we would think of that as the day after Saturday, the first day of the week. Right. Do you draw the conclusion from that, that 
in Acts 2, <clears throat> when we have this Feast of Weeks or the Pentecost observance, that that's the first day of the week? Yeah, I, I think it has to be, wouldn't it? Um, uh, that would be my conclusion in that. Uh, maybe there's some uh, something that I've not calculated in all of that. But, yeah, it seems as if that would be the first day of the week. The Lord was raised on the first day of the week. And so seven Sabbaths following and then the day after that, as this text says, uh, Acts 2 would also be on the first day of the week. And, and so then you have the beginning of the church, talking about new beginnings. You have the beginning of the church on the first day of the week, which just lends further support to the fact that in the New Testament, there's a fairly significant emphasis on the first day of the week, Jesus being raised on the first day of the week, Christians coming together to eat the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, <clears throat> Christians in Corinth assembling on the first day of the week. Um, okay. All right. Well, I wondered what your thoughts were about that. <clears throat> Now, now, Joe, we, we've talked about in the first month of, of this year for the Jews, going back to Exodus 12, they, they had the original Passover, which they commemorated every year thereafter. And in passages like this here in Leviticus 23, um, they are instructed to observe three annual feasts at which all the men of Israel were to come to the place where God would put his name. And those were Passover and then Feast of Weeks, also called Pentecost. And uh, then there was a, a third feast, the Feast of Booths, right. which took place in the fall. And they would they would come and they would set up little booths, little tents, and dwell in them. What was it? Was that for seven days or what was that for? Uh, yes, for seven days. That's right. right. <clears throat> so we look at the 23, verse 41. Okay, read that if you would. Uh, you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. All right, so I, I made the connection, and the Bible makes the connection, between the Jewish Passover and, and Jesus' sacrifice and then his resurrection from the dead. And then the connection between the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost and the beginning of the church when you have the first fruits, the 3,000 who are baptized into Christ. Is there spiritual significance to the Feast of Booths that we should be seeing? Um, well, so what the Feast of Booths was a, a, a memorial to God caring for, taking care of, the Israelites during that time of the wandering in the wilderness, their pilgrimage, if they, if you will, to uh, the promised land. There seems as if there should be some parallels then as we think about God taking care of us and providing for us uh, as we journey toward the, the, the promised land, if you will. Um, we, we do have a description of the observance of the Feast of Booze or Feast of Tabernacles, some translations say. And I've heard you talk about this one in John the seventh chapter. And um, and in John the seventh chapter, um, Jesus, uh, there's some discussion of what, whether Jesus is even going to go up to Jerusalem for this. He does, but it's mentioned in verse two. It says, now the Feast of the Jews, the Feast of Tabernacles right. was at hand. And um, and then Jesus does go up to this feast, and there's a great bit of controversy as to whether or not he's going to be there, and 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 the Jews are seeking to kill him, and here he is speaking openly, and is he the Christ? Is he not the Christ? And then we come down to verse 37, 
And I've heard you talk about this. Walk us through this. Start in verse 37, if you would, and just tell us what what uh, you know about this. So traditionally, this is not a part of Old Testament commandments, but traditionally what the Jews would do throughout this Feast of Tabernacles as they would go to, uh, hopefully I get these names right, the Pool of Siloam. It's been a while since I looked at that, my, my mm-hmm. notes on that. Um, and they would draw water from there and they would carry that to uh, the, the temple. And as they would do that, they would sing the psalm from Isaiah, the 12th chapter. And it is a psalm that's in many of our songbooks, actually. Um, uh, just mentioned a couple of verses here from Isaiah 12. He says, for example, Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted, sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Now, I just read verses three through six, but they would sing that the that psalm isaiah 12 is a psalm mm-hmm. sing that throughout the this feast and so here it is the last day of this feast and as i understand it they've been doing this water going back and forth and now jesus is standing there in the midst of uh, the congregation the midst of the israelites and he is just crying out if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink you know they're saying with joy will draw from the wells of salvation and they are singing isaiah 6 12 so ironic they're singing for great is the holy one of israel in your midst and he literally is right <laughs> there in their midst yeah it's just amazing like i can just picture them walking by him on a daily basis you know and finally on this last day he's like guys i'm the real water come to me if you're thirsty and we have other passages like Isaiah 55 that talks about coming to him for water and so forth. Um, but as he is crying out for them to come to him to receive this living water, and then they can be filled with that and spread that to others as well, verse 38 and 39, I think. It's, it's just such a powerful image. And it reminds me of how I might be reading passages, like they might be singing Isaiah 12, I wonder what song am I singing that God might be saying, Joe, think about what you're saying. I'm here. You know, uh, if they were guilty of that, then certainly I could be guilty as well. So yeah. maybe in the course of uh, 2024, we can think more carefully about singing songs like He is in our midst. That's a pretty common popular yeah. song taken directly from Isaiah 12. Much of that song is. So yeah. as we sing that, don't miss the fact that the New Testament tells us that Jesus is in the midst of the churches. He is in our midst. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I think there's some, some practical, powerful message there for us. Now, now, what we've done here is we've discussed this. We've looked at three annual feasts briefly, Passover, the what we call Pentecost, and then this Feast of Booze or Tabernacles. And we've seen significance pertaining to Jesus in, in each of these. Now, either that is a, a valid connection that was intended by God or, or it's not. And, and if it's not, then, well, first of all, um, these feasts, what, what was their significance? Well, you'll find in some descriptions of these feasts 
they were just agricultural feasts, like any culture has a feast associated with harvest. Um, and, and that's the way some people look at these. They were just agricultural feasts. But then secondly, what does that say about Jesus? Here is this, this Jesus who is claiming great spiritual significance associated with each of these all about himself. Oh, this is all about me. What, what does it say? What if you had somebody today going around talking about the Chinese New Year and saying, that Chinese New Year is all about me? Yeah. And I'm the full. What kind of guy would that be? And, and so, in the first case, if that connection is not there, well, what are these? They're just agricultural things. Second place, it makes Jesus out to be a, a lunatic, a narcissist, uh, what, whatever. And if you believe that, go with it. You're you're not gonna you're not gonna be happy with where you end up with that conclusion. But I don't believe that. But I, I think there are a lot of people who aren't really ready to fully accept the Bible as the word of God, but they'd still like to think of Jesus as a really good guy. I don't know a really, I don't know if a really good guy looks at great world events or great significant things in history and says, it's all about me if it's not. And then thirdly, why in the world did God have them kill lamb and smear its blood over the doorpost and the lintel to let him know which are Israelite houses so he wouldn't kill the firstborn. In other words, when you look at the instructions that were given to the Israelites about observing these feasts, they really end up having no meaning. Right. And, and so you see, I hope you see that the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament and how together you get the full story, you get the complete picture, Amen. but independently from one another, you're missing something. Yeah. Absolutely. I think you're spot on there. And the rest of the Old Testament and the observances of these feasts, uh, I think, likewise point to the, the coming of Christ. And then to see that fulfillment in him, you know, Jesus is the one who chose when he was going to uh, die on the cross. Uh, they had tried to take him on other occasions. Yeah. They couldn't. He's the one that laid down his life. Right. So he did it specifically on this day. Now, a narcissist does not allow himself to be crucified. Um, uh, and so we have a very benevolent uh, high priest and, and sacrifice uh, before us there, um, which also shows that distinction, I think. It's interesting that th there, were, there were occasions where the Jews were trying to avoid having anything happen during Passover. They wanted to get him, but they didn't want it during Passover. But it ended up being Passover. Yeah. Yeah. When they wanted to kill him, they couldn't. When they didn't want to kill him is when they actually did. Yeah. Uh, God was in control. All right. Well, okay. Uh, anything Anything you want to conclude with? Any final words? We've looked at the beginning of the Jewish year in Exodus chapter 12 and looked at these feasts that fell at various points through the year and tried to make the point that what we see is this connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, all mm -hmm. pointing to Jesus. Any final word? Uh, the, the admonition that that generation that observed the Passover at the beginning fell in the wilderness. And so we need to be aware uh, that while we recognize those things, we have to, to follow through on it. We have to live that out. All right, folks, thanks for listening to Bible Quest today. Um, tune in again next week. We might have Chase Byers with us next week. Uh, <laughs> and so, Lord willing, we will see you 
next week. <laughs> wow, that was great timing there. 